I'm so glad y'all had enough gas to get here this morning. <laughs> telling you, it's been touch and go, hasn't it? It's been crazy. That whole conversation this week was pretty funny. Uh, I was taking Luke to school at PJC, and I said, Luke, I said, Luke and I have a, are riding a tandem bike now, tandem mountain bike. I said, hey, if we run out of gas, I can still take you to school. I said, I don't know how I'm going to get home on that tandem, but we can, we can get it done. I'm glad that uh, y'all don't have to ride any bicycles here today, but I'm glad knowing that we would. I mean, knowing y'all, I know we would. And some of y'all might not, but I think most of us try and figure out some way to claw our way up here um, to gather gas is, uh, is not going to be something that keeps us from spending, time, spending this time together. I want to begin this morning in prayer or continue because we've already begun, well begun with some hearty, sweet things. I want to continue this morning with prayer specifically for our brothers and sisters in the South um, and those who may become brothers and sisters, those who might come to know the Lord through this trial that they're facing in Houston and South Texas. So let's pray for God's glory in this mess somehow. Let's pray. God, what a crazy, crazy week it's been watching uh, what's going on down in Houston and Corpus and um, Rockport and places like that, the, the storm has just ravaged. Uh, well, we are thankful that there are some amazing stories that are coming out of it, some beautiful stories even. Um, Lord, we want to pray very specifically and strategically that you'll be glorified through this mess. Uh, that folks that may not know you, that fo- folks that maybe have relied on their stuff and trusted in their things or their, their way of life, in losing those, may find you. And um, Lord, we pray for brothers and sisters in our churches, um, sister churches that are down in that area, Lord. We pray that they will be audible right now uh, as they, first of all, are expressing needs to us up north, and second of all, as they are expressing what they have in Christ. Uh, We just pray that folks will come to know you through this and that they'll see this as a, a moment that a moment of crisis where you showed them the greatness that they have in Christ. Um, Lord, we pray that you'll give us some insight into how we can come alongside our, our uh, families and friends and fellow churches that are in the South. We pray that we'll be faithful to move in that. I pray that you would give us a supernatural sort of otherness right now where we can be attentive to, uh, to those that are in need and uh, come alongside them. Lord, I want to pray, too, about, about how we spend these next few minutes. I, I just pray that you will use it. I pray that um, I confess a, a personal consciousness of uh, how I do this morning and um, whether I do a good job or whether people think I did a good job or not. And I just want to pull that into the light, drag that into the light, and uh, shoot it, frankly. Um, I want consciously to be on my mind and my heart this morning is the greatness of Christ. Um, So we um, ask for that. Turning this time over to you, in Christ's name we pray, amen. Turn to the book of Ephesians. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to grab that one in the seat bottom in front of you. In fact, you're welcome to have that if you don't have a Bible. Uh, If you don't know where to turn, that's okay. I'm going to give you a page number. It's page 978. Don't fret. Don't feel like you have to uh, worry about not knowing where you're supposed to be. This feels like this is coming out, or are you turning me down? Okay. 
um, page 978 in the Bible in front of you. Now, if you have a different version, I don't, you're on your own page number wise, but, and if you have a different version of the ESV, that wouldn't work either. This is home base for us today, so I want to start you there. I've been proud of Texas this week. I, um, I was born in Texas. I grew up in Louisiana, and I think I probably claim Louisiana more than Texas, but this week I've been proud that uh, I was born here. I've been proud of the way our state has responded to this crisis. Uh, I feel like it's a time, too, where we get to send a message to the rest of our country, a divided country, frankly, what it means to be American. I mean, it, I, I've enjoyed that. Uh, it's, uh, in, it's been a neat and, but unique and trying week. I think although it is a trying time for our state, I think it's a special time uh, for our country. And that's something I'm hoping for, too, in this mess, that God will use this crisis in our country to maybe bring some sort of healing. Um, I don't know what's in store for our country. But uh, let, me, let me do this this morning. I want to appeal to you this morning, not as a Texan. I think some of you, just in the words that I've already said this morning, have identified with I'm proud to be a Texan. I want to appeal to yeah, some audible amens there. It's good. I want to appeal to you this morning, not as a Texan, though. I want to appeal to you this morning at a, as a citizen, as a citizen of a heavenly kingdom. I want to appeal to you this morning as a citizen of a heavenly kingdom who has an opportunity, as Texas has an opportunity to our country to show something really remarkable, that we as citizens of a heavenly kingdom have an opportunity to show our world something that's even more amazing. Something that's so otherworldly that it stands in stark contrast to the way the rest of the world is moving and the way the rest of the world is operating. I want to appeal to you as citizens of a heavenly kingdom that we have the opportunity to show the world something that's even better than Texas grit. I think you're going to have an opportunity to see what this is in these next few minutes in this passage. Our key passage this morning is in verse 21 of chapter 5. It's where we're going to be spending the morning. I'm going to take you sort of around it, uh, behind it, in front of it. Uh, I'm only going to take you to one other passage this morning in Philippians chapter 2, so if you want to kind of have that handy. Uh, but home base for us this morning is going to be Ephesians chapter 5, specifically verse 21. I'll read the passage, and then we're going to climb into it. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's a simple passage, a simple few words um, but in order to make sense of it, we're going to have to understand it in context. Okay? I want a, a visual that I think our kids will relate to, but even our adults can relate to, is uh, I think Spider-Man. Um, I, Christy, uh, well, I say Daniel, I should say Daniel. I didn't take Christy to the Spider-Man movie. I took Daniel to the Spider-Man movie recently. Christy probably wouldn't be interested. But Daniel and I went to the most recent Spider-Man movie, and uh, I mean, you've seen enough of those things, or you know what I'm talking about, to know that he shoots these little webs from his his wrists here. And you can imagine this scenario. I don't know that this actually happened in the movie, but it was something, uh, this, this idea kind of gave me a visual where you can visualize what's happening in this passage. Where Spider-Man is standing at an intersection and he sees a bus of, of uh, innocent bystanders or innocent passengers, in that case, if they're on a bus, that's, that's rolling to their peril off a cliff or something. Some terrible tragedy's coming. And he sees another vehicle that has, uh, is it Aunt May, Daniel? Is it, what's his aunt's name? May? Yeah. 
we'll just say, is it? Yeah, we'll say it is. Aunt May is in another car and she's rolling a different direction and also to her peril. You know, the bad guys have caused this thing. So Spider-Man's going to show up and he's going to shoot a web to both things. And then he's going to tie the web together to keep them from dying. Okay, so I want you to take that visual into what I'm about to show you in this passage. We're going to shoot backward to the bus full of passengers. Okay, so we're going to begin just a few verses back behind where I read in verse 21 in verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, Paul in the book of Ephesians is writing to a church. He's giving them instructions on how they are to be the church. And this is a passage where he's saying, don't be a bunch of drunkards. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he gives them some specifics. He gives them four participles. Now, I've, I've had folks uh, mention to me, uh, being at Crosspoint, visiting Crosspoint, they've had to kind of bone up on their English. A participle is a verbal noun. Okay? It's like a noun that has a, uh, an ing at the end. Okay, so notice the verbal nouns in these next few passages. There are four of them, and the fourth of which is where we are this morning. Okay, so I'm going to pick up where we started again. In verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, there's the charge. Now here are the verbal nouns. This is the first one. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's the first one. Here's the second one. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Okay, here's the third, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the fourth one, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, we're shooting the web back and we're going to gather this thing together and we're going to tie it together here in a minute. In a minute. But first we're gathering, we're shooting backwards to figure out what's on that bus. And there's some participles on that bus that we need to keep in view. And there's a charge on that bus that we need to keep in view. We're charged, the church is being charged here with being filled with the Holy Spirit. First, by addressing one another in, in, in these songs and spiritual songs, this vertical aspect. Secondly, in this horizontal aspect where we're worshiping and singing to Christ. And third, giving thanks always. And fourth, where we are this morning, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It is the fourth of four participles resulting from being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the shot backward where the net grabs the bus. Okay, now keep that in view. Now here's the shot forward. The next passage, verse 22, where we're going to be this next week, we'll probably have standing room only in here next week when we get to this passage. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Okay, word will be spread all over Greenville that we're going to be preaching through this passage. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, you might think this is a break in topic, but it's not. The reason I want to show you that this is Spider-Man shooting a web and drawing these things together is the word submit there in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord is not even there in the original language. It's not there. The way the passage reads in the original language the wives, to your own husbands, as to the Lord. There's no verb there. And the reason there's no verb there is because it's being borrowed from the passage in front of it. There's just been that fourth participle. We just met it, that fourth participle that we're considering this morning. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That verbal noun, submitting, is being borrowed by that next passage. 
So that's Spider-Man shooting that web forward and grabbing this topic in front of us. He's shooting back to a topic about the church. Here's the way the church moves. And now he's shooting forward to a topic about the home. And as he ties it together with that webbing or whatever, what ties it together is the topic and the notion of submission. Okay, I want you to see that visual. I want you to have that in view as we consider this morning that it is tied backward to a conversation about the church and it is tied forward to a conversation about the home. It sits in a very important position. And in fact, in some ways, this topic of submission is like a bridge between church and home. Okay, now... We're going to spend these next few minutes sort of unpacking the passage. We're going to unpack it in two chunks, submitting to one another, and then we're going to consider the rest of it. But first, I want to spend a few minutes on submitting to one another. The word submit, it means to be subject to, okay? It means to place or rank under, right? To be subject to. To place or rank under. Here's another great word. It means to yield. Okay, I'll give you a little um, definition here that might help you visualize it. It is the act of renouncing your own will for the sake of others. Sounds delicious, doesn't it? (laughs) I mean, I can just tell y'all are on the edge of your seats. Tell me more. I can't wait to do this. This just sounds so awesome. The act of renouncing your own will for the sake of others. It actually means to give preference to others. It's actually showing preferential treatment, but not to some, but to everyone else. And in this context, everyone else in the church. This is the only place in any of Paul's letters where he calls the church to submit to one another. He goes into some specifics in other passages, as does Peter. He goes into some specifics, Paul specifically, where we're going to be in these next few weeks, of wives submitting to husbands, of children submitting to their parents. That'll also be a packed uh, worship center, I suspect, on that Sunday, with kids joining us. Slaves submitting to their masters is another place where Paul gives some very specifics about submission. And in Romans, he even develops the thought of believers being in submission to our governing authorities. It is a concept that's used often in our New Testaments. But this is the only place where he calls members of the body to submit to one another. Okay? Now, we're going to spend these next few minutes just considering who's the one another. Okay, we could just read this and kind of breeze on through and go, ah, it's kind of cool, it's kind of nifty. But we're going to explore what this concept of one another means. It seems that he is speaking here. What I want you to see is developed here is the notion of an environment, okay, where people, everyone in the church is submitting to one another. He is developing the picture and that also spills over into home. Remember that concept is tied together, that those webs are tied together between church and home where everyone is submitting to one another. Everyone is placing themselves in rank under the other. (laughs) See, that's crazy. Imagine an environment where something like that would actually take place. Okay? Where everyone is yielding to one another. 
Consider this. I want to climb into this and sort of make sense of what this would look like. And we're going to do that first by imagining what it would be like in the Ephesian church. Okay, we know if you've read a book of Ephesians or you've been here as part of this church these last few months, as we're, years as we work through the book of Ephesians, you know we're talking Jew and Gentile. That's, we have men and women, we have Jews and Gentiles. We have these two different groups of people in, in, uh, um, in the church there that are, are dealt with throughout the book so far. So let's talk about the Jew and Gentile and the man and woman. This notion of submission one to another, you have to understand, would be culturally shocking. That's what I'm saying. What I'm talking about this morning can be more shocking than how Texas is moving in a storm. And Texas is moving pretty well. What I'm talking about this morning is really, truly otherworldly. This would be a radical notion in this context. Let's talk about men and women first. Women in this in ancient Roman Empire were viewed as very little more, and in some cases only, as property Women were viewed as very little more, and in some cases, as no more than property. So the notion, consider this, the notion, dudes in here, just to, if you can, just imagine 2,000 years ago where your wife and your daughters are all considered property or little more than property, and you are being instructed with the notion to submit to them. Would your eyebrows raise? Man, let's climb into this and imagine the notion of submitting to one another, and especially a man to a woman, would be hardly imaginable. I'm trying to think about what it would be like for a guy in Ephesus, in the church in Ephesus. We'll just call him Ephesus Edward. I can imagine that Ephesus Edward would be like, man, I ain't submitting or yielding to you, woman, because you are little more than property. What in the world are you talking about, Paul? Now consider the Jew and the Gentile. If you've been paying attention these last few weeks during Scott's messages, you've heard that, that uh, mindset of the Jew in the church, the Christian Jew, the temptation that they had to think very highly of themselves. Consider the Jew who's confronted with the notion of submitting and yielding to a Gentile. Are you kidding me? A Gentile? Virtually a vile Philistine? Well, I never. You can imagine how challenging that might be. And yet Paul is saying to yield to one another. Now, I know that we don't view our women that way, the way they did 2,000 years ago. At least I hope you don't. You're not going get to get away with that for long. Some women are going to clobber you. And I know we don't have Jew and Gentile in here, so let's sort of personalize this. Well, there are probably some other potential challenges within the Ephesian church, and I know there are some potential challenges within our church when we're talking about this matter of submitting to one another. So let's talk about the notion of the oldest to the youngest. You know, y'all have gray hair with me, and you have the temptation to think at times that, man, we, we know a lot more stuff than these younger whippersnappers. We've got it all figured out, don't we? Because we've lived it. We've lived a few more decades, and we've had a few more experiences, and the notion of yielding to someone who's younger, who is silly and foolish, is really difficult to imagine. Man, I think we have our challenges. The youngest and the oldest are the oldest to the youngest. How about the richest to the poorest? Let's think about that for a minute. There may not be a significant difference between the rich and poor in our context, but I think even within our context, we can have those little uh, 
relationships, those micro versions. And this might be very challenging if you think about this for the rich because folks that have a lot often consider themselves pretty highly and often consider themselves higher than they should because they can consider their financial success due to their own decisions and their own wise moving. And they might actually even think often on that phrase that I think is a despicable phrase about their net worth. That's a phrase Christians should never even use, in my opinion. I know what it means. It's a parking place for how much do you have in your accounts. But Christians should not value their worth based on that. Because if you do, you're going to handle the poorer among you. as You're kidding me? You want me to yield to them? You want me to consider myself as a lower rank than them? Well, I never. Maybe there's another challenge that they would have experienced, one that we can certainly experience, where the accomplished businessman or woman is called to yield to the one who's just trying to figure out how to hold down a job. Right? The one who's maybe built a few businesses and accomplished a lot in the business world, who's being called to yield to one who's just working at working. <laughs> just imagine how that would go down. Greenville Gilbert, we're not using Greenville Gary anymore because we have a Gary. We're going to grab Greenville Gilbert. Gilbert's going to say, you expect me to submit and to yield to this guy who's just turning wrenches when I've started and run several successful businesses? That's exactly what Paul is calling them to and exactly what the Lord is calling us to be and do. We are to submit to one another. Men to women, yeah, men to women, Jew to Gentile, old to young, rich to poor, accomplished to unaccomplished and struggling. Man, let that hit you just for a minute. Do you realize how otherworldly that is? What other context does it work that way? What other context moves like that? What other place can you describe where dynamics are going to be like that? Man, the church should be a city on a hill. should be truly a shocking environment where we are submitting without class, without social class, without structure, without you know, accomplishments, without any sort of distinctions, one to another. I want you to catch a vision of this with me. I want you to see the startling character of a church and a home even that's populated with people yielding to one another. So if you would turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I don't have a page number for you, but it's only going to be like a page or two after where we are in Ephesians. As you're turning there, I'm going to share another passage with you. We're going to spend just a few minutes in Philippians chapter 2. But I want to show you something in Romans chapter 12 or just share with you as you're turning there. Romans chapter 12 verse 10 says, Love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I think it's a beautiful satellite to what we're talking about this morning. A beautiful passage that shows what this, this environment is going to look like where we are yielding to one another, where we are submitting to one another. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. When I was a kid growing up, my dad was great about, and still is, great about uh, bringing food to other people. And I'm not talking people that are hungry. 
just talking about people just blessing them with like some cookies or something or a, a pie or a cake or something. He's just, he's just, I don't know why, he's always been wired that way. And as a kid, I remember growing up uh, on one occasion taking a pie to someone and um, we came home with a cake. We took a little pie and came home with like a big cake. And, and my dad said on the way home, he said, man, these people, and I can't even remember the Kavanaugh's or something like that. I can't remember what their names were. Uh, he said, they, they, you just can't outdo them. You can't outdo them. You know, you bring them cookies and then they send you home with a pie. You bring them a pie, they send you home with a cake. You bring them a cake, they send you home with gumbo. I mean, in Louisiana, that's the crowning the crowning thing there is the gumbo, all right? That's what we bring one another when you really are special. But I remember that, um, that, dis- that description. You can't outdo them. Man, what a beautiful place to be. What a beautiful community to be part of where everyone is thinking about how can I outdo you in showing honor to you. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, I think, present another um, image or picture of what this uh, environment looks like. Listen to verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What a beautiful environment that is. It could be a place where in humility we are counting others as more significant than ourselves. Counting others of higher rank than ourselves. Yielding to one another. I think counting others as more significant than ourselves means that we don't bring our resume to a conversation or a conflict. Can you do that? Counting others as more significant and more important and of higher rank than ourselves means that you don't bring your accomplishments or your business acumen to a conversation or a conflict. Can you do that? Can the church be the place where you don't do that? You don't bring those things to the community of faith. You don't bring your bank statement to a conversation or a conflict with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You don't bring those things to life group and wield those things and lord those accomplishments or experiences over people you're doing life with. And men, let me tell you this, you don't bring those things home either. And lord over your family all the great work that you've done and how accomplished and awesome you are and expect them to bow at your feet. You can certainly in all of those places reflect on those experiences you can certainly bring some of those experiences and things that you have yielded and learned from those experiences to those occasions but listen to this man we should be characterized all of us as yielding to one another and submitting to one another so much so that we really truly value the other as more than we do ourselves that we value the other accomplished or not Rich or poor, man or woman, as having an opinion that is worth listening to, of having a thought that is worth considering and treating that person as more significant than yourselves. Man, this is a crazy environment we're talking about here. We're talking about a whole other world that's not like any other place that any of us know. 
We're talking about an atmosphere of mutual submission that should characterize the church and the home. The air that we breathe. What a wonderful community of people this would make. How many divisions and splits and fights and quarrels would never even find footing if we were seeking to outdo one another in honor? Think on that. How many would never even get off the ground? How many marriages would be served right this very minute by this notion of considering others as more important than ourselves? Seeking to outdo one another in honor. Man, how many homes would be transformed by this kind of view of one another as even siblings can do this with one another, boys and girls. You can do this with one another. Where you consider others as more important than yourselves. Man, that is an otherworldly place. It almost seems like a pipe dream, you know? I was, I was going to use that phrase this morning, and I'm careful about using phrases now because I want to know what they mean. <laughs> and pipe dream actually means that you've been smoking opium. Like you have some sort of, you know, vision of something that is a product of smoking opium. And, I, you know, I've never smoked opium. I don't know anything about it. But there's something about all this that sounds kind of like, <laughs> that's really great, you know. But I just can't ever imagine this ever playing out, you know, in reality. <laughs> I mean, I know me and I know everybody else that I live with, I do church with. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Let me encourage you in something. This doesn't have to be a pipe dream. It doesn't have to be an imaginary thing. And I think the goods for how it doesn't have to be a pipe dream are found in the rest of the verse. You've only turned over a page or two, so I want you to turn back. I, I want you to keep that Philippians passage handy because I'm about to take you there. But we're just going to unpack the rest of the verse just briefly. Submit to one another, remember on verse 21, out of reverence for Christ, the only hope of being this kind of people, this otherworldly kind of people in church and home is one singular thing. Reverence. The word actually means fear, reverence of Christ. That is the only fuel for this imaginary environment that makes it not imaginary. That's the only thing that we can connect to that will help us be this people that we're imagining we could be. Fearing and revering him means being mindful of what he did and how he moved I told you I want you to have that Philippians passage handily. Go back to that Philippians chapter 2 where I just read in verse 3, and I'm going to continue to read it, or I'm going to read in verse 3 again, but I'm going to read a few verses after that. And I want to show you how Paul thinks about submission and how what Christ did. Okay, listen to this. Do nothing from selfish ambition. This will be a familiar passage. I just read it a few minutes ago. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Okay, familiar? Now we keep reading. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Through union with Christ by faith, he says, this, this is your mind. Have this mind 
the mind of Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. You know, one of the things that every year uh, around Christmas time, where we read through the Christmas story, you know, you think, man, I, I've got this down. It's almost wrote, you know. And some of you may have memorized the Christmas story, and you think oh, it's just kind of a a routine and kind of have, you think about old memories, you know, when you do it and you think, well, there's nothing new there for me to see. Uh, I think it was a couple of years ago where for the first time it struck me after having read the Christmas story a kajillion times where it struck me where a passage yet still keeps on speaking because yet it is a living word where I found and saw in that passage this shocking reality in Luke chapter 2 verse 51 that God the Son, okay, the one in whom all things are held together, the one who created, according to Hebrews, that God the Son submitted to his mom and his dad. Let that hit you for a minute. The same word, submitted, yielded, considered in higher rank his mom and dad. And I don't care what kind of mom and dad were, what kind of mom Mary and Joseph were and dad, but they weren't perfect, I can tell you that. So the Lord of all creation perfect in every way, submitted to be a son, like a son to Joseph and Mary. And he submitted to be a servant, the passage says. And then in verse 8 it says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Man, this call to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ is connected to the reality that this, this thought and reality that our Savior, the one that we are revering and fearing even, not in a run-from way, but a run-to way, became a son and became a servant himself, and he submitted to evil authorities. Nobody's calling you to submit to evil authorities when we're calling to be submitting to one another in the church. He submitted to evil authorities, even to the point of submitting to the cross. Man, let that hit you for a minute. He submitted to authorities that I'm going to tell you right now weren't worth following. Who had an evil plan that resulted in his crucifixion. I think revering him means that he becomes the sole and singular reason that we submit to one another. Years ago, I learned how to type. I remember typing class in, in uh, seventh grade, and I was trying to, I was thinking of a visual that might help you see what we're talking about this morning of, of uh, doing something but looking somewhere else, submitting to, another, to one another but not looking at how you're doing and not focusing so much on that, but actually looking somewhere else. And in this case, you're submitting to one another and you're looking to Christ. You know, in typing class, they tell you, you know, you're not going to be very good if you're watching your hands. You don't really get good until you can focus on the reference, whatever it is you're copying or whatever it is you're, you're typing from. So use that image. Connect that image to what I'm talking about. Submit to one another. And if you want to ever be good at it, you've got to focus on Christ. You have to keep your eyes, according to Hebrews, fixed on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Out of reverence for him, that's the only fuel for submitting to one another. 
And I want you to see and appreciate that this call to do this is not because someone is worthy of being submitting, of submitting to. <laughs> I like the thought of a few qualifiers in this passage, don't you? I've looked for them. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, and I'm looking. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I'm looking for that phrase in there that says, if they're really worth submitting to. Submit to one another if they're really great leaders. Submit to one another if they're really great husbands. Submit to them if they're really great pastors. Oh, I mean, I love that thought to see that qualifier in there, but there's really no qualifier in there. And I'll make you this promise. If you stick around long enough in the church or in the home, you will eventually be disappointed in even the most revered. So the singular most re- reason, the singular reason, the, the most important reason for submitting to one another has to be not because they deserve being submitted to or submitting to them, but has to be out of reverence for Christ, period. Because he did, even to the point of death. We submit to one another because our Savior submitted and yielded and counted his rank below really everyone's. Enough so to die for even the most hopeless of sinners and the most vile of sins. That's where you look when you type. Let's pray. God, when I'm thinking about this uh, environment, when I'm thinking about what what life together is like when we're among a bunch of people that are submitting to one another and yielding to one another and considering others as more important than themselves and outdoing one another in honor, Lord, I'm thankful that it's familiar. I'm thankful that it's something that I've experienced in walking with this people often. And God, I know that we have so much room to grow there too. And I know that too, Lord, that as you've tied together church and home, that we have room for this notion of submission to spill over into the home where a husband and a father can actually submit to his family and yield to them and consider them as more important than himself. God, I pray that this sermon will... Give folks some connecting points where they see what, not only what we're called to, but where the resources are in revering, and I would even argue enjoying Christ. Lord, help us to enjoy Christ. Help us to revere Christ as fuel for this call of otherworldly submission. I'm praying these things in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to distribute the elements here in a minute, but I want you to think about something. I, and I, I want to ask you for a moment. I know that sometimes during, as you're preparing for the supper, you kind of put in your Bible away and you kind of shuffle a little bit. Let me just get your, your undivided attention. Go ahead and shuffle if you need to. Get stuff situated. I understand that. But really, I want you to pay, to some, pay attention to something here in a moment. What I described so far was out of reverence for Christ, was out of reverence for Christ as a model so far. And that was on purpose. What I described in this passage right here where you're looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8, where you're considering the sacrifice that he made in submitting to earthly parents or submitting to ungodly authority, in some ways what I've described there is model. Okay, I hinted it means where this mind that's already yours through union with Christ by faith. But let me take you to means in a clearer sense here in the supper. 
the way that, the only way that you will ever have the ability to submit to one another in a way that we're called to, in a way that's truly, truly otherworldly, in church and in home, is not only following Christ as model. Okay, I, I have bad news for you. If Christ is only your model, then, then you're doomed. Okay, you will never meet the standard that Christ walked in, period. The only hope that we have is that somehow that he gives us the means to do what he's called us to do. Okay, and the way that we do that is by enjoying him. And over the years, I've talked with folks like my own daughter, Evan McGraw, who's just so literal and so linear. And she's like, well, how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you enjoy him? How do you? We've had that conversation a million times. Well, we take the supper together, and we enjoy the sacrifice that he made, and we enjoy him like he's ours, like he's our groom. We love him together in this moment. And when we do that, we'll find some goods and some resources to then go home at lunch and this afternoon and this evening and tomorrow and this week. To submit to one another. Some goods and some resources that you didn't have before the time that you walked in here. That you don't even have right now because we haven't had the supper yet. There's something that's supernatural that takes place when we take this supper. And that supernatural thing is that God gives you some goods that you need to be what he's called you to be. He becomes the means. He's more than model for us. That's why we actually take him in. We take him, we swallow this bread and this blood or this cup. He becomes something that changes us. And I want to encourage you in this supper to enjoy Christ as means. If he's only ever been your model, then this is the first day that you ever truly enjoy him as means. Then this may be the, your birthday. This may be the day that you come to the Lord for the first time in faith. Man, do that. And don't take this supper otherwise. If you're not enjoying him and you can't enjoy him in these next few minutes as your groom, as your means, as your Savior, as your Lord, then don't take it. But if you can, then you take and eat. And you find in that faith-fueled venture... He's going to give you some goods. He's going to give you some goods that you need to do what we've talked about today, to submit to one another. Let's distribute the elements.